good to see you and be here and have fellowship. And it's just it's just awesome. Uh, I was so glad that uh, Jeff Parmenter was able to be off the road enough to be able to be at church with us. And uh, uh, he also went out to um, men's encounter with me uh, yesterday, <clears throat> and we had a good time. Uh, it seems like when you get there, uh, having been through it, both of us have been through it, you instantly are drawn back into the time wherever you walk into it. It's just an awesome time. So I'm hoping some of you men will truly, truly consider going in August. Uh, you you will be blessed if you will. It's an awesome, awesome experience. Today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to look at the first 37 verses. And uh, working off of the title, Let Us Bow Before Our Maker. Um, how many of you have ever experienced a long-winded prayer, preacher, speaker, just seem like they go on and on and on? Most of you, weekly, I understand, weekly you, you endure that here. Uh, today we'll try to correct that and uh, going forward. Uh, in this ninth chapter, uh, we uh, re- is recorded the longest prayer in the Bible. Uh, we're not going to go through, you know, we're not going to read it to you and stay with it forever, but um, it's not as long as some would consider long. There's a great story uh, told, Dwight L. Moody was a great preacher in Chicago, and uh, he once asked a certain brother to pray at, at the service at the Chicago church. The man began to pray and was still droning on and on after ten minutes had gone by. So Moody got up and he said, while our brother is finishing his prayer, let's turn to number 342 and sing together. So <laughs> um, sometimes you want to do that, don't you? The first two verses of chapter 9 record the occasion when this prayer was spoken. It followed the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which is observed in Israel and uh, even today. And it was uh, the first time for many years that they had, the children of Israel had celebrated this following the recovery of the city of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the walls, the resetting of the gates, and the restoring of order and some degree of prosperity to the city. It was a time of celebration, but the occasion also took a little different note. And we see that in the opening verses. Let's start at verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. It was a time of sober self judgment. We all need to spend some time in reflection. Would you agree with that? There's nothing better than to spend some time in reflection. Uh, I know that a lot of people believe that they're doing okay, that they really don't have a whole lot of sins that they could list, but if you could just list one, that's more than you need. Because we all mess up. Every day. And something, sometimes you mess up in what you think about. Sometimes you mess up in what you speak about. Sometimes you mess up in what you do. So there's ways that we mess up. And we need to do some self-judgment. 
So these folks were, were in that position. They, they were confessing their sins and the, their father's sins as well. Because, see, there is evil that passes from generation to generation. If the leaders have created evil, that gets passed on. I'm not guilty of their sin, but I am a recipient of the consequence of their sin. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful about that. In a family structure, if one person sins, it affects everyone in the family, not just that person. It would be nice if it was just that person that suffered, but that not, that's not the only one that suffers. I remember when my mother and dad divorced when I was younger. They did that twice, once when I was in the third grade, once when I was in the sixth grade. And I never will forget how that made all of us feel, and none of us could talk about it. But we felt terrible. We had to move from the house where we lived to into my grandmother's house. In order to get to the school that I went to, I had to walk four miles longer than I would from if I was at the house with my dad. So it, was, it affects everybody. Everybody's sins, everybody's decisions, everybody's choices. When you make it for yourself, you think it is going to affect other people. And it'll hurt them. It can hurt them greatly. So we've got to understand that. Now let's jump down to verse uh, 36 of chapter 9. Because it tells us what was causing them to mourn and fast and confess their sin. Look at the start of 36. But see, we are slaves together today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. Because of our sins, uh, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. When you are in debt... Somebody else owns you. True? They do. Now, how many of you have a house that's completely paid for? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, how many of us, how many of us will raise our hand and say, we're not in a house that's, we're in a house that's not paid? Yeah, okay. There's the rest of us. We're bound to that mortgage company, aren't we? You can't decide for several months because you want to buy something different. I mean, you need a big screen TV at your house. So you decided rather than make your house payment, you're going to use that money to buy that big screen TV. Now, I know the mortgage company is going to say, no problem. Right? Maybe once. Twice. Three times you're not a lady. Yeah. No, they'll come and eventually they'll take your house away from you. Nice cars. They're great, aren't they? Can you imagine the, can you see, the price of cars is nuts today. I mean, come on. Really? You're going to pay $40,000 for a pickup truck? That's really what you got is a pickup truck. Except they're not pickup trucks anymore. They're a car with a, a truck bed behind it. You got everything in the world in there. I don't know why they don't install the bathrooms. You don't ever have to stop. It's crazy. But these guys understood that though we have a plentiful harvest, we don't get as much. The king gets it. Those that rule over us get it. 
And so it is spiritually in your life. If you allow the devil to rule your life, you're going to owe him. You will owe him. And he will collect. However, if you choose to let Jesus have control of your life, you're going to receive a blessing from that as well. An even better blessing. But the people recognize clearly the connection between evil in their own hearts and their own lives and the terrible conditions which they found themselves. In this prayer, the Levites in, in Nehemiah 9 learn how to recover from that kind of situation. And folks, we're in the same situation today. Just this week, just this week, did you catch the headline where the witches are getting together to pray for Trump's overthrow? The witches. Now, we might snicker at that. Witches are a tool of Satan. And so what's going on now is that Satan is not hiding anymore. He's coming full front into the public to see what Christians are going to do about this. What I love is we have a first lady who stood up at a rally. And the first thing she did was recite the Lord's Prayer. Donald Trump said, I didn't even know she was going to do that. Ha! Fantastic. That's even better. But it tells me where her heart is. Amen? How refreshing is that? But because Christianity is beginning to get a little bit of a, a, a recovery, Satan is going to throw himself in. But now he's coming out full-blown public in front of us. So get ready. Oh, get ready, people. Now let's look at verse 3. Because they did one other thing besides... Fasting and weeping and praying and seeking mercy. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. Three hours of confession. Three hours of praise to the Lord. It's hard to keep you guys here for an hour, for 40 minutes, for 30 minutes. Preachers are trimming it down. Boy, you've got to trim it down, trim it down. Uh, Corey takes the clock off the back wall and shakes it to make sure it's still working most Sundays. Or he'll stop, he'll set where Taylor is and he'll point at the clock so I can see him pointing at the clock. When I first came here, Judy Martins used to take her watch off her wrist and shake it like this and then listen to it. Now, she's no longer with us. Uh, no. <laughs> Three hours. Can you imagine? I know, I know, I can, I can, I can confess, and I think you would too, during our prayer vigil, how refreshing it is to spend that 30-minute time slot just focused in prayer and in, in praise and adoration of the Lord. Many of you have told me how much you really, really appreciate it. In fact, most of you take not only one slot, but you'll take two just because you need more time. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's what we're talking about. But the Levites divided themselves into two groups. And they, one, one side stood on the stairs leading up to the water gate and the other on a platform in the opposite side of the square. And the groups were calling back and forth to the people, one group confessing the sins of the people, the other praising God in a language that fit the time and the situation. Let's, let's look, go back up to verse 4. Standing on the stairs were the Levites, and then it lists, lists their names, who called with loud voices to the Lord their God. You know, these were the confessors. These were the folks who were calling out to the Lord about their sins and what was going on in their lives. And then you had the, the other Levites 
who were stand and praise the Lord uh, your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And so his sins were shouted from one group, the other group then praised Almighty God. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that have been a, a tremendous thing to hear and be a part of? We need that echoing chorus in our in our lives and in our church, groups that are willing to confess sin, another group who answers that that call and begins to give glory and honor and compassion and mercy from God. We need to be about that business. And then the rest of the chapter from the latter part of verse 5 through, the, through verse 37 gives the actual words that they use. They, uh, and and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I want to read it through with you. And I want us to, to grab the lessons from it. So just kind of tune in. And let's see what things we can learn from this. The first is that God is praised as the creator and the maker of everything. Let's pick it up at five there, latter part of five. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So when you wonder, what am I going to pray about? Pray about the greatness of God. The greatness of God. You have life. You have breath. When you get up and can actually function, that's a, that's a movement of God. Amen? You should rejoice. It's a great place to start in praising the Lord. Did you ever think of all the processes that are happening in your body just to make it function? You know, when you get up in the morning, the older you get, the, the slower it is to get up. Have you noticed that? At least it is for me. I get up and things crackle and snap and <laughs> it didn't used to snap and snack and crack and do all of that. I feel like a, a, a cereal box or something. But it, it's, it's so important to begin to remember all the things the Lord just automatically puts in us that work. That work. You get up and your feet begin to walk, and your nose begins to work and smell, and your uh, your 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 eyes begin to open and can see, and your ears can hear, and it's just one thing after another. You just never think about it. Your lungs are taking in air. It's just it's amazing, but it always happens, and we need to stop and think about that. If you have a pacemaker, you're glad that that thing's still still pecking away. If your diaphragm isn't working, guess what? You're not breathing very well. You need your diaphragm to work. And nobody gets up and says, hey, diagram, you with me? <laughs> it just knows it's with you. It's going. In fact, it's been going all night while you were sleeping. Because if it didn't, you wouldn't be sleeping much. If your heart didn't work, you wouldn't be sleeping much. If the blood didn't flow, it wouldn't. You see what I'm saying? If the veins didn't do their job. In the next section, pray, they praise God as the caller and the chooser of men. Look, start in verse 7. You're the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. You made a covenant with him to give to his descendants in the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. And uh, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. You see, God is a promise keeper. How many times have you promised something and didn't do it? How many times have you promised God you were going to do something and didn't do it? Man, we, we need to follow through on what we say we're going to do. We need to be people of our word. 
If your word is given, it's as good as a contract. It's the way it should be. If you say you're going to do something, go do it. Don't argue. Just do it. And with God, especially when we say, God, we're going to do this, then do it. In the New Testament, we're taught, we're taught that Jesus is the one who can draw us to God. Can't get there without Jesus. Then we see that they praise God as the deliverer from sin and, and enslavement. Uh, verse 9. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against his officials, and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into a mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. George Santayana is a Spanish philosopher. And he said this, He who forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. He who condemns the past is, or forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. So we should never forget what we have been wonderfully, even miraculously de- delivered from by the great hand of God. All of us were sinners going to hell. We stopped, repented, changed our thoughts, changed our ways, and responded in faith to God, believing that Jesus could cleanse us from sin, baptized into Him, rise to walk in a new life, and boy, we're off and running. Amen. I don't want to go back, but I need occasionally to do some self-reflection, and I need to remember from whence I've come. Man, I was this guy. My wife told me the other day, she says, you've only done this much bad stuff. I love it because she still doesn't know all the bad stuff I've done. I know you can. But if you do, I can tell on you. It's usually better we just leave it there. Amen? All right. Now let's pick it up in verse 13. You came down to Mount, on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. You had sworn with uplifted hand to give them God's provision for His people is the same provision for us. He will take care of you. He will. He loves you. Loves you so much He sent His Son to die for you. If you'd have been the only person on the earth at the time Jesus needed to die on the cross, He still would have died on the cross. Because without that sacrifice at Calvary, no one has hope. But hallelujah, we've got hope today. Amen? Now, how bad were these people in this day and age? Well, so bad that they were offering their children to the god Moloch. They were throwing these children into the fire alive to be burned to appease the god Moloch. I would equate that to modern day abortion. We are... We are a people that have set and allowed 
millions of babies to be killed. Could there be a cure for cancer already? Maybe. But we killed off the person that would have the, have the ideas to how to make that happen. Potentially. See, you'll never know because we've killed them off. All in the name and the sake of, it's my body, I can choose. And I still contend that if a woman gets pregnant, there was a choice already made. It's not the baby's fault. I can find you 20 families who adopt that baby in a heartbeat who will never get to have a child. But I'm telling you, the choice was made. So if you're going to play with fire and you get burned, don't kill the baby. Let somebody else have a blessing in their life. Let somebody else have a blessing. There's always alternatives. But, you know, we, we think how... how Terrible these people were there. Man, we're just as bad. It's just cloaked differently. God has given us this wonderful book, this Bible that we have, that you and I read every day, that teaches us the rules of life, of health, salvation, deliverance, inner strength, how we can resist temptations. And we can, we can just have a beautiful, bountiful, full life if we'll just read the Word. Let the Word teach us and fill us and guide us. And when we neglect it, how stupid is that? Now the confessing group takes up the theme and in the rest of the passage we have an alternation between confession and praise. Uh, Look at verse 16. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Did you get that? It says they failed to remember. They refused to listen. They became stiff-necked. Ladies, how many of you are married to men that are stiff-necked? Thank you for not raising your hands. That's awesome. My wife's not in here, so I'm sure that hand would have already gone up. Stiff-necked. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? It means you're proud. So proud you're never going to admit you're wrong. One of the greatest marriage... Advices you can ever give a couple is for the man. It's not really not for the woman, it's for the man. And so, men, here it is. Yes, dear, whatever you want. That'll take care of it. We asked, uh, if you'll remember, I asked Dorothy and Ralph Branstetter when they were celebrating their 50th uh, wedding anniversary how they had done that so much. And Ralph said that. He said, I just told her, whatever you want, honey, you can have it. And Dorothy sat back there just smiling and said, that's it. That's it. Or you can be stiff-necked and refuse to listen and fail to remember. Especially when you, th- when you think of the children of Israel and all the miracles that were performed around them. And, and yet in our own lives, how many miracles do we see? We see them every day if you'll just look. Every day if you'll just look. When you rebel against God, you invariably want to go back to the evil that you once were involved in. Remember when they were fleeing from Egypt and got to the Red Sea and they said, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt. We're going to die here at the hand of the Egyptians. And so God did what to the Red Sea? (laughs) Hey, don't mess with Him. Don't mess with God. And then follows a word of praise. Uh, The scene is around the Mount of Sinai. 
the latter part of verse 17. But you are forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. Verse 19. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Every man's dream is to wear the same pair of underwear and never change. I was just saying, if you're listening. And the point of those verses is that we tend to take God's blessings for granted, don't we? He gives us so much. And we just, eh, uh, we forget about it. We start looking at things that we think we deserve, like flashy cars and bigger houses. When we may not, we may not deserve any of it. But one thing that God did take away from us is death if we accept Christ as our Savior. We'll never die again. You'll die once. But that's it. But if you never find Him and He never becomes your Savior, you're going to die twice. You'll die once physically and then you'll die spiritually and you'll spend an eternity with, with the devil. Then comes a period of confession again. Beginning at verse 22. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took possession of the land. You subdued uh, before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them along with their kings and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities in fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were nourished, well-nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. You see all the blessings they've got? It's an amazing story. These people had come out from 400 years or 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt had no military training, were not aggressive as a people, yet they confronted armies, well-trained pagan armies who were used to fighting and swept them away. They took over great cities and won, won the land. They, uh, it's described in the book of Joshua. And when they were finished, they recognized that God had done this and praised Him for His marvelous goodness to them. You ever thank God for the victories that you've achieved in your life? The promotions that you've received uh, the, that you didn't expect to get? Your achievements at work in your home? Have you, have you stopped to revel in the goodness of God? The, you know, it's the right thing to do. Recognize that God has been with you every step of the way. God's hand is what is happening in your life. Give glory to Him. And then the other group comes in to give us the other side of the picture. Verse 26. But 
They were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. You see, on one hand, they received all the blessings, but on the other hand, they turned their back on God again. Doesn't that sound like us? Oh, my goodness. Sounds just like us. How does God deal with us? And how does He deal with people who treat Him like that? I mean, after He has blessed them abundantly and given them so much, what happens when they forget to give Him the glory and turn their backs on Him? Look at verse 27. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Every time, throughout the book of Judges, every time they would sin, they would fall, they would be captive. God would bring out a leader to bring them out and bring them back. I believe in America, God has a remnant of people, of believers, that that's why God is still going to bless this country, because that remnant is still praying and is still trying to live the life that God has called them to live. This is our chance. Church, this is your chance. Last chance. I believe with all of my heart this is the last shot we've got. We better take advantage of this. And we better stand up. This is the time to preach the gospel. Satan is coming out full force publicly. We better get ready. We better get ready. Then the confessors come in, verse 28. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Isn't that the truth? Time after time after time, God delivers. You and I stumble, we fall, we pray, and we might even walk away for a while. But then we pray and we come back and God opens arm, loves us and accepts us just like we never left. Wow! How does that happen? When a husband and wife have difficulty and they separate, I'm telling you, it's, it's a picture of God's love for us when that couple comes back together. When they can get back together, you can see a tremendous strength and victory in their life. And the forgiveness that's extended on both sides of that issue. Doesn't matter who was at fault, his forgiveness is given on both sides. And bridges that were broken are now beginning to be rebuilt from both sides. You see, you can't expect one person to build the bridge who screwed up. They, they alone can't build the bridge. You've got to help them on the other side to build and meet them in the middle. It's an amazing picture. Because God does that to us all the time. And we need to be about that business. Because when God, when God tells us to not do something, He means business. He's not, he's not joking around. And then we see a dual presentation in verse 29, to confession and praise. It says, You warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, but by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. So they are confessing the mistakes of a previous generation. They see clearly how much they, their own agony and hurt has come from the mistakes of their fathers. And then look at verse 30 and 31. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. 
How many times have we walked away only to have God open His arms and bring us back? He does it every day. But we've got to, we've got to repent. And we've got to be willing to come back. Now let's jump down to verse 32. Now therefore, O God, the great, mighty, and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. And all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Would you say today... That you need the Lord. So often when we confess, we say, Lord, if I have injured any soul today, if I have caused some foot to go astray, if I have walked in my own willful way, dear Lord, forgive. The only problem with that, <laughs> it's not if, it's I. You see, when you sin and you confess sin, confess your sin. You're a sinner. Tell him about your sin. Not if you had. How arrogant is that? So God will hear and God will forgive when we come with the right heart and with the right motivation. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning to respond to that. What I want us to do is to take just just about a minute. It'll seem like longer. But just a minute, I just want you to bow your heads and I just want you to take what sins you know in your life right now and take them to the Lord. Okay? Take a minute. Bow your head. Close your eyes. You and God, give Him that sin. Give Him that list of things. Fathers, everybody's praying. I just want to ask you to be real in their life. I just want to ask you that you would reach down and touch them in a very special, powerful way. With the sins that they've just confessed, you've heard, and you'll respond. God, would you grant the forgiveness that they need and that they so much deserve because they've been so courageous as bold as to 
be honest with you for a moment. What the locusts have eaten away, you can restore instantly. So God, I'm praying today that there's a breakthrough in someone's life today in this room. Father, if they have an outward decision they'd like to make, would they do it? Would today be that day? Or are they going to keep running from you? Keep trying to hide from you? Are they going to give up, surrender, and find the blessing that comes with that surrender? Move among us, Lord. Touch us in a special way. In Jesus we pray. Amen.